Well, hello again. That week has gone fast, hasn't it? It's been cold, but sunny here in London. Perfect weather for taking us out for a walk, run, or whatever else you get up to on your Sunday mornings. Now, this is the first time you found us. Welcome, Matthew Grant here, partner at Instec London. And this week, we're talking about claims, and I'm talking to Jeremy Himes, founder of Claims Consortium Group. Now, for many people, claims and claims technology is something of a mystery. And whilst there have been a few companies getting attention in this area, building new technology, getting a strong client base and raising funding, such as Shift, Tractable, ISI, Frisk, McKenzie Intelligence Service, it still doesn't get as much attention as I think it should, given the potential cost savings. Jeremy has been building up his claims services business and, having discovered the benefits of building technology for his own operation, is now making this available to clients. We'll be talking about the Synergy platform and how and why AA, that's the Automobile Association, decided to work with Jeremy and his team. And of course, a platform can't really function on its own in isolation, so we talk about how partners, customers, and new acquisitions such as WeatherNet integrate with Synergy. Whether you are deep into claims and looking for new partners, or on the outside looking in and wondering what it's all about, or just want to be inspired by a successful entrepreneur, you'll find something you like here. And finally, listen out for Jeremy's offer at the end. That could be you he's referring to. Here at Instec, we are ramping up for our next live evening event on the 30th of November here in London, but look out in a new venue at Codenode, details on the website. If you are a member, you get them free. And with a couple of days to go, if you message me, Matthew Grant at LinkedIn, tell me what you like about the podcast. We'll give you a free ticket to this or any other event. Okay, let's go to that interview. Jeremy, great to be talking to you. Good morning. I enjoy talking to all my guests, but it's really fascinating to people that have built their own organization. So really looking forward to hearing more about Claims Consortium Group. How are you this morning? Feeling good. Uh, it's great to be here. I'm just hoping the postman um, <laughs> or someone from Amazon doesn't knock on the door over the next hour. Well, if your household is anything like mine, it's hard to find an hour in a day when someone is knocking at the door and uh, trying to deliver something, but I'm sure we'll be uh, fine. So in terms of your background, you are something of a serial entrepreneur. Today, we're going to be talking about the business you're doing under Claims Consortium Group, which you founded back in 1996. Uh, Along the way, you've launched a number of companies, but the ones that are going to be particularly interesting to hear about today are Synergy Cloud, and then you also acquired WeatherNets. Could you just talk a little bit about you know, what it was that motivated you originally to set up the Claims Consortium and you know, what your sort of primary business was that's led you to where you are today? I'd like to say with a lot of thought process, a lot of planning, a lot of forecasting, but the reality of it was Claims Consortium uh, was set up in 1996 from me expanding from a sole trader to bringing on five people, and we were just evolving the business and, 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 and if you like, running in the moment. We've just grown the, grown the business pretty much organically up until the last couple of years, like you say, uh, when we've started uh, acquiring some businesses uh, through self-funding, through a war chest that we've built up over the last 30 years. Uh, but the business itself is a claims handling business. We employ about 300 people. Ultimately, we're in uh, household, commercial, leisure, and liability. And through that, we offer adjusting, subsidence, uh, third-party motor property damage, uh, validation repairs, underground service, and third-party administration. Well, there's a lot in there. I just want to make sure I come back and just run through those just to make sure I kind of understand them properly. Uh, So I had adjusting in there, and then you you said you offer subsidence. So is that around looking at what subsidence is, where it's happened on buildings, presumably? 
when there's a claim, we'll assess it, look at it, make sure that it is a claim or it isn't a claim, or, um, and then carry out necessary repairs or, or, or orchestrate those repairs on behalf of the insurer. And then you move from what is mostly a service business, you learn a lot about your customers, but now you've actually started to build technology. So, so what was it when you looked out there that you sort of motivated you to make that switch? Because it's very different being a service provider to actually go out, going out and building the technology mm-hmm. itself. Well, initially, this, the technology we built was never, was never intended to sell outwards. It was always as a way to service our customers. So the heart of our technology has been built inside out. It's been built for the customer first and therefore to help ourselves. But over the years, um, we realized that, that that technology was something, we had something pretty special here. As we completely understand claims in such an intrinsic way, um, and have um, such a understand every single impact that affects the customer. The output of that was we were able to develop um, a platform that was truly different in the marketplace because it was very, very sort of customer centric. And the you know, decision to take you know, what was internal technology and then actually create something to go and sell. Did you, you know, the classic, we'll build it and there will come, or, or did you have a client that actually came to you and said? they would like you to build something for them. What happened in 2020, we hit lockdown. Lockdown meant that our small claims fell off an edge. So the business went into, okay, well, what is our strategy? Our strategy is get into technology, uh, data, and, and build our own platforms. And essentially, the stars were all aligned. At that time, we had the perfect leadership team in our technology side. We had the perfect technology team. And we had a client uh, with the AA who uh, wanted to sponsor us, essentially, who wanted to say, hey, look, we understand what your vision is. It matches 100% with what our vision is. We don't see anything else that out there on the marketplace with the same vision. Do you want to build this for us? Everything was aligned and um, it was a perfect timing. And let's dig into that a bit more because there are lots of companies out there already claiming to offer technology. But in this case, you had a yeah, well-known organization clearly knew you, but you weren't doing anything for anybody else in terms of building technology. You know, what was it that when the AA looked to you, they clearly you know, would have gone and looked at what else was out there, felt there was nothing else that was already built. So you know, what, why do you think they, I don't want to say take the risk because that's the wrong word, but they certainly were you know, making a bet on you being able to do this versus going with somebody that had some existing technology. You know, what, what, what do you think drove them to do that? I think there's a couple of things. The way we were able to apply our technology meant that there was no capital expenditure. There's no upfront costs. But equally, the fact that there is the one single platform and one version of the truth, which I'm not sure there are too many out there um, that offer that, and the vision we've got for how claims should be handled and the fact that we come from a truly claim-centric place I think, added to um, the AA's um, excitement about what they wanted, knowing that we could deliver exactly what they were after. And more broadly on this whole claims area and claims technology, I mean, if you look back at the last five years, we're now at about $30 billion investments gone into technology for insurance companies in that sort of more recent period. According to Willis, about 18% of that has gone into claims. Must have got some fluff in my microphone there. That should be 18%, one eight, not 
80. Initially, that sounds a lot, but actually, one of the things that strikes me about claims is a scenario where for an insurance company, for a dollar spent, they can make a, one of the clearest and cleanest business cases about how do you save money. I mean, if you can improve the processes, if you can reduce the cost automatically, you've then got a very clear line of sight to how you're going to save money on it. So do you think that claims is just sort of poor cousin of insurance technology and people just haven't just, just discovered it? Or is there something else that makes it more complicated to actually develop and use technology? I don't want you to give away any of your, your secrets because clearly this is a, a, a good area for you. But it does strike me yeah. that people generally just don't really seem to be focusing on claims as much as they should be. Where we're heading towards is huge legacy systems with insurers and sort of old-fashioned sort of kind of supply chains are related to that. And you're right, if insurers want to um, significantly reduce their loss ratio, then, then absolutely claims is the, the thing to be focusing on. Over lockdown, I think that's perhaps the emphasis now is coming ahead. And, and you know, I would be surprised if there wasn't that sort of um, uh, investment made because you're right, there's, there's a huge amount of money to be saved. But I think also a lot of the, the differences is that with the funding, that's, a, that's coming from insurers from the insurance side. I think the innovation still can come from claims handling companies. We're the ones that are gaining um, as a business from the claim or an insurer isn't. The onus, I think, is on existing claims companies to look at their own businesses, try and cannibalize themselves and invest their own money uh, themselves to create software that's going to future-proof themselves. It's a really good point there. Again, I've seen a shift in the last five years from where the focus was on new companies starting up and that concept is disruption up to a point. It's quite healthy because it brings new talent into the industry. But I think what we're seeing now is, to your point, existing organizations recognizing that there's more they can be doing. And we often think about insurance companies, but as you say, there are some well-established providers of claims handling software and claims handling processes that could be innovating themselves. But I just want to come back to what you're doing with the uh, the AA and how Synergy works. So for those that are not familiar with what a claims handling sort of technology looks like, can you just step us through a real-life example about how that could be used? It's an end-to-end claims management uh, system. So that is anything from the customer self-serving through to notification of claim, through to um, registration, uh, validation, and validation including the system being able to go in, uh, read the policy, understand the limits, understand the exclusions, and really lock down any leakage and only pay things that, that should be paid for, straight through to settlement. Okay, quite a lot going on this one platform, so I'm just going to recap on what Jeremy said. First of all, it's end-to-end from the customer being able to notify their insurer of their claim, commonly referred to as first notification of loss or FNOL. Then the system will validate that claim by reading the policy and understanding what is covered or not covered. And then finally, it will determine what should be paid. There is some clever stuff going on there. And in a few moments, I'm going to dig into that further with Jeremy. Before that, though, he goes on to talk about what the Synergy platform integrates with. Q, by the way, which you'll hear mentioned in a moment, is the UK motor claims database. And WeatherNet is one of the companies recently acquired by Claims Consortium. We'll be discussing more about that later on. Anyway, let's get back to Jeremy. 
It's integrated with Q, it's integrated with WeatherNet, as you'd expect, but also integrated with their emails, SMS, uh, phone systems, etc., um, and their finance package. So essentially what they've got is one platform and it controls everything. And in addition to that, and I think this is probably one of the most powerful pieces, is that you've got the customer, you've got the claims advisor, and you've got the supplier all on the platform. Um, so there's one version of the truth and there's clear communication between all parties. And essentially, it allows one claims advisor to deal with the whole claim, as opposed to if you look at, in comparison to a lot of other systems and a lot of other processes, you need many different claims advisors to deal with one claim. And in there, you mentioned a point about reviewing the policy and I think extracting information from that. I mean, that's a very hot topic just now around extraction and ingestion of data. So does it, does that mean that you're building into this some approach that can work across multiple different policy forms or, or do you have to sort of yeah. build the policy forms within the system as well so that that's already sort of pre-coded? It can read lots of different policy um, forms and it isn't just the claims advisor because you've got your supply chain using it. You mean you've got your adjusters and your surveyors and, and, and your engineers, et cetera. They're all plugged into the system. So if they're validating on site, they can't overspend because it's it's locked into the system. So, the, you know, the desktop advisor, the uh, on-site tradespeople and et cetera have the same experience as the as the um claims advisor in an office. And then when it comes to building technology, most companies these days have got to build technology of some form, whether it's internal or even bigger hurdle when they're actually selling it. What would be your advice to people that are looking to find their technology partners when they do need to build the systems that they are going to sell to third parties? Yeah, and it sounds a bit of a cliche, but it is absolutely sharing that vision and, and having the team to execute that. And also, the other really interesting thing is, is that I'm not sure we could have built this platform if we weren't in lockdown. I'm not sure the AA or any other insurer before lockdown would just accept video calls, right? In the period that we made, um, we built the software, my guys and girls never left their living room. We never met the AA and they never left their living rooms. Ultimately, this product was purely built over teams. And I really struggled to see how that would have happened pre-lockdown. We would have met, you know, we would have gone to the southeast and had to meet them, had lots of meetings. And what it just meant, it just cut away the hierarchy and it put us all in a room and we created a team. I think that was one of the single biggest drivers to be able to create a platform so quickly. It's what I call a COVID positive story you know of the how things have changed and, and clearly will change going forward and implicit in what you said is you had the team internally so you people tend to have two choices you know, slightly oversimplifying it but two choices when they build technology you can hire the team and build it yourself or you yeah. can outsource it did you make a specific choice about that or, or was it because you already had a team therefore you you built it and it was never really <laughs> So in 2011, I thought I was going to be a software company. I didn't want to outsource anything. I have the perfect team that totally get me and totally get claims and totally get the ethos and, 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 and all our values. And that's significant for me because it means that they understand the vision, they understand the principles, and it's on point. So the takeaway for me from that is for, for 
organizations that don't have the luxury of building up a team over time, or, or as you were in a different business, if you're going to outsource, you need to find an organization that you can connect with very quickly and yes, share the same vision, as you said, but also there's a cultural aspect working with an outsourced organization. And if you don't have that, then the likelihood is you're going to run into, into challenges. Do you know what? The AA were part of our outsourcing team. If I compare what you've just said, that's exactly what happened. With it. Could we have built this if we didn't share the same values and the AA and ourselves didn't share the same values and had the same vision and had the same importance and tenacity to get this done? I don't think that could have happened. I know the AA at this point was a client, but ultimately you need that same relationship with an outsourced partner, I, I, I think. So I can, relate to, I can relate to what you're saying in that instance. But that point is also fascinating. I mean, we talk a lot about culture at companies. Your point is you want to get a culture fit with your client. And I think in, intuitively or instinctively, for any of us looking back at the organization we've got the best relationship with, it's because there's a good cultural fit. But we actually, I, you, you can start to see why some organizations fail when they start to work with clients or suppliers where there's just isn't a cultural fit and it's just never going to work. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. It's a very brave supplier to walk away from a client because you don't think you've got the cultural fit, but you are absolutely right. The output of what we produced is a great example of how two businesses with the same vision and culture can, can you know, execute something. And then another aspect of COVID, of course, is a lot of claims have had to be handled remotely. I've just come back from a really interesting trip to the US talking about remote claims assessment and seeing some of the technology that's available out there. Jeremy, what's been your experience of what people are doing you know, in the last year or two to be able to handle claims remotely and the technology that's now becoming available? There's some great companies and some not so great companies, but, but there are some really good sort of uh, providers out there offering live streaming and um, storage of, of videos. Uh, but at the moment, the services out there are quite expensive. If you're an insurer and buying in bulk, might cost you five, seven, eight pounds as a supplier out there. Actually, it could cost me a lot more, 10, 15 pounds. And that's really expensive in today's world of sort of technology and what, what you can get for pennies and pounds. And, and the reason there's expensive, obviously, you've got things like, you know, your compression, you've got, uh, you know, complicated algorithms uh, and obviously other infrastructures. But what's happened over, over lockdown is this explosion of video technology. You've got Teams and, 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 and Zoom and loads of other sort of businesses um, offering video technology. So it's kind of we've truly democratized you know, video technology. It's like it's just an everyday thing. It's an everyday commodity, right? Um, and that means that the likes of Microsoft have um, really refined their tools. And you've got people like Twilio, Microsoft, and lots of other companies that are are now opening up their APIs to developers, um, which means that you can start to integrate their great leverage, all of their technology that they've practiced and harnessed over the last couple of years into your own platforms. Now, that doesn't mean to say you're going to have a fancy tool that's going to be able to measure stuff and turn people's phones on and off, et cetera, et cetera. And some of those tools out there are pretty cool, right? But for us and for the future, potentially, is what you're looking at now is leveraging the likes of these massive global businesses like Microsoft into your platforms, not having something as fancy, but having something that you can pretty much work on pennies rather than tens of pounds. A practical application that would be for claims handling. If somebody had a loss and 
the insurance company or the adjuster was looking at a well, the claims handler was looking away of reducing the cost to actually see what happened. Are you saying they could now use teams, for example, to actually see you know, an example of what that loss, or not example, to see what that loss was through the, the camera on someone's phone or, or laptop? It wouldn't be so through teams per se, but it'd be using Microsoft's APIs. Um, and if you're reducing the cost from pounds and many pounds into pennies, you're starting to then communicate and record on a different level. So, you know, you can ask yourself the question, do you need to do reports? Do you need to have um, the variation reports when prices are going up, etc.? When you're doing a phone call, you potentially could just have literally, it, the whole thing could potentially in the future just be videoed and, and, and stored and saved. So I think the opportunity is quite significant when you're reducing the cost of, of, of live video beyond just remote assessment. Now, I wanted to talk to you about WeatherNet. So you acquired WeatherNet earlier this year, a really interesting organization looking at what they're doing, getting access, I believe, to previous windstorm and, and rainfall claims and using that, yep. as I understand, to review the claims that have been coming. As you look at how that fits into your broader offering, how, how, did, how do all those pieces fit together? You hit the nail on the head. They, you know, they, they measure wind, rain, snow, hailstone, lightning. Before we bought them through 300 weather stations across the UK, and you'd type in a date of loss, you'd put in the postcode, and you could pull off that weather record, which would then help adjust the claim. What we've managed to do since acquiring them is we started using radar. It measures the precipitation off of the cloud using microwave. So essentially, uh, you're measuring rain, snow, hailstone, and you're no longer doing that over the 300 weather stations. You're doing it within one kilometer of each other. So the furthest point is one kilometer. Essentially, you're adding about 82,000 weather stations, virtual weather stations across the UK, and you're picking up data every five minutes. So it's pretty much real time. So the amount of weather data that we're collecting is huge. It's also really cool because we managed to get half a you know with this business came half a trillion records of um, historical weather data as well so what's really interesting about weathernet and how this all fits into the strategy uh, further is one we've now got today incredibly precise incredibly accurate weather data in every street in 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 the uk and i don't think there's any weather data out there that that is is as accurate because it's usually pulled off of these 300 weather stations. Jeremy, presumably you, one of the reasons for acquiring WeatherNet was you could integrate it into other tools. So does that fit into the offering that you have with Synergy? What we're able to do with this data that we're getting, because it's so precise and so accurate, and through the validation tools of Synergy, the customer can log on to the claim, put their claim in, and the system can understand by looking at their policy, by reaching out to WeatherNet and seeing the exact data over their roof, what the weather was like. And that can immediately identify whether we should even be looking at it as a claim, how we should be then processing it. So there will be some cases where we will um, be able to automatically process that claim, either decline it or, or offer a cash settlement or automatically through the system, signpost to the right supplier to go out there. And that's really significant because when you think about, one, when you think about surges, it's a thing that, that people have less control of. A weather surge event is something that, that really throws insurers out and suppliers out because you have to start moving people around. 
this goes a long way to being able to take a lot of the uncertainty out of processing the claims. And Jeremy, I've asked you a lot of questions, but is there anything I haven't asked you that we should be talking about or you'd like to explain about what's going on? One of the things we did touch on before uh, was about remote assessment of claims. And what's interesting is what we've seen over lockdown, especially around the small claims, is a, is a real spike and increase of up to 50% of claims being settled that way. But as we've come out of lockdown, there's been a kind of twofold reasons, but it's reduced to sort of around 10%. Customers, first of all, are now not at home and actually they don't want to necessarily deal with something so personal over the phone. They don't want to have to be the surveyor and walk around with their camera. But equally, there's been a lot of insurers we've seen say, actually, we want you to go back and visit now. We're out of our comfort zone doing this. We'd we prefer you to go back to visit. But I think one of the things that will drive this and take it back up again is about the climate, okay, the climate change at the moment. And there's a lot of difference between being net zero and carbon neutral. You can plant a tree to be carbon neutral, but to be net zero, if you don't go and make that travel arrangement in the first place, you're then creating that net zero environment, which I think insurers are taking very seriously and will be, and we'll be having some very stringent targets. So I think we're going to see a sway from insurers to really motivate their supply chains where possible, where it still offers great customer service to start doing remote visits. So I expect that 10% to increase quite significantly over the next year and as we sort of navigate our way through the climate change and and you know you can hear more about it because rob uh, is on your show on, on the 30th of november discussing weather net and um and and the impact that's having to weather yeah no thank you for reminding me about the last bit and very glad you brought that bit in there about the the net zero carbon impacts because as you say that clearly is going to be a critical part of what everyone's looking at going forward and the remote claim side is definitely part of that um well that's been great jeremy and really very much appreciated your support for instead london it'd be great to hear just about why you chose to do that and uh, hopefully you know how we're being of benefit to you i was talking about you guys the other day at a uh, physical event at a conference and so for me it's really easy it's really clear i've entered a world that has been alien to me before right there's there's this massive ecosystem out there there are so many really vibrant, really exciting and quite scary companies. I say call them scary because they, they're pretty disruptive and could create my business to be killed off. But they excite me and I had no idea of their existence. If you asked me two, a year and a half ago what parametric insurance was, I'd say, well, never clue. But now that's all I ever hear from you guys. And I totally understand how that fits in to the bigger picture. And so it's really, truly broadening my horizon to the wealth of insurance, claims, technology businesses out there, and just how they will ultimately fit into my complete ecosystem. So, Jeremy, for people that are listening and you want them to go away and think about what Claims Consortium does, you know, what's the one thing that you would like them to, to think about as to where you or the organization can, can help them or the people they're talking to? We've got... Uh, a huge amount of experience in lots of different things, um, you know, claims 30 years, certainly with weather from a claims perspective and a data perspective, and now with this technology. And as I mentioned to you before, we kind of have opened ourselves up to this 
truly inspiring ecosystem out there. There are some companies that compete with us, some companies that don't, there are insurers out there, and I just love the ability to sit down and talk to people so um, and learn from each other. So I'd definitely welcome anyone, whether they're looking to build stuff themselves or whether they're looking to outsource stuff or whether they've got some really cool technology they want to talk to me about and how it can plug into how we can work smarter together. I just like the idea of talking to people, learning from someone, sharing my experience. So I'd welcome anyone, whether they're supplier um, or insurer, to, to get in touch and have a chat. It's a really generous offer and it's, it is actually remarkable how often people that have founded businesses are, are very generous with their time to help other people. Obviously, you, you want some of those to convert into clients because that's how the business grows. But you, as we all know, there's a tremendous community out there throughout insurance and beyond. So yeah, thank you, Jeremy. We'll put the contact details for you in the episode notes. Uh, well, I think that about wraps us up. So you've got a, you've got a, the rest of your job to do. We're talking on Friday morning, so I'm sure you want to clear your desk so you can enjoy <laughs> your weekend. Uh, but thank you very much. Lovely. That's been great. Thanks very much. If you're intrigued by what we're doing at NSDEC and haven't seen us in person, then we may be closer than you think. We have just moved office to house our growing team right in the heart of the city here in London, but we are also now traveling overseas. To learn more, take a look at the website www.instec.london. If you like what you see, message me, Matthew Grant, on LinkedIn or any of us, hello at instec.london. And don't forget, 30th November, live in London. Mm-hmm.